0: You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is an attorney who represents startups, nonprofits, arts organizations, and people who work in the creative industries. As an arts entrepreneur, Brian is the founder and CEO of Performing Arts Live, a Pennsylvania nonprofit corporation dedicated to creating and supporting live performance opportunities for jazz and electronic artists. Its flagship program is the Allentown Jazz Fest. Brian is a TEDx speaker, a Grammy voter, and jazz musician. Creative confidential begins now.
1: Joining us today... uh is really is a treat. Um, uh, one of the foremost uh, jazz composers and, and saxophonists in, in 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 many years, I think. And we're we're lucky that uh, that uh, that he lives in Allentown, close uh, close to us, but certainly is uh, a, a figure of, of national and uh, you know international importance. Uh, so, uh, Steve Coleman, thank you very very much for uh, joining us this morning
2: okay thank you no problem
1: so you know we wanted to talk a little bit about uh you know obviously you know what you what you do and how you go about doing that and you know some of the some of the uh you know game-changing moments you've had in 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 your life but uh, i know i know we're, we're pressed for time today and um you know, when I when I asked Steve if he was would be willing to come onto the podcast, of course. Uh, you know, someone of Steve's stature is at the Village Vanguard this week uh, in New York City for a, a five a five night run.
2: Um, six nights.
1: Six nights, and uh, so who's who's performing with you in this iteration of of your group?
2: Well, the first group that performed there's two different groups. The first group that performed is called Steve Coleman's NATO Eclipse, and that group performed. Um, Tuesday and yesterday Wednesday. And um, that that's an octet. You want all the members names or so.
1: Well, we, you know, just uh, a little bit a little bit of uh, a little bit of background uh, because you know, the podcast audience here is, you know, throughout all of the performing and visual arts, so sculptors and painters and you know, nonprofit board people and uh um you know so so artists and people that are interested uh you know from all walks of life um
2: okay all but, right uh,
1: so now i know you have a a residency in los angeles coming up
2: exactly yeah
1: when when does that begin
2: that's um november 30th through december 21st um that's part of the activities of um my nonprofit we do these residencies in different cities um, my nonprofit is called M Based Concepts Inc. M base Concepts Inc. And we do these non these um, residencies in different cities. We did one in Chicago for four weeks. We did one in Philadelphia for two weeks, both earlier this year in the summer. And um, the next one will be um, for three weeks in Los Angeles.
1: So if so if I'm on the West Coast uh, coming up, uh, where where can I see where can I see you perform?
2: The bulk of the of the activity will be conducted at a place called the Blue Well. The Blue Well is a club that's in um, downtown Los Angeles in the Little Tokyo area. But we're also um, part of the residencies is going out and doing community work, um, doing a lot of outreach, um, working in different communities, um, mainly disadvantaged communities in the, in the different cities that we go to. So we'll be doing a lot of things there in different hooking up, partnering with different nonprofits in the different community centers. That's, and also, um, doing work in some universities, um, UCL, um, UCLA, um, Cal Arts, um, a lot of the universities in the area, we do workshops and things like that for musicians. Well,
1: and, the, and you, you had mentioned one of the things I was going to ask you next, which is when you, you know, when you do these community outreach components to these residencies, um, you're partnering with local nonprofits that are, you know, that are already there on the ground trying to, you know, better, you know, better the lives of, uh, of, of the people they serve. Um, can you, can you give us uh, for people who are not familiar with this aspect of your work, you know, sort of a representative sketch of, of what one of those outreach programs would look like?
2: Well, it depends on um, what the nonprofit, what area that they specialize in. Southern, some of them, some of them, work with very young children. I mean, it could be kindergarten age, first grade, second grade, something like that, you know. And, of course, in, in that situation, it takes on more of an introduction to, to um, some of these people have never seen people play instruments before even. So um, it's an introduction to what we do. Um, it's more of a lecture um, demonstration kind of thing. I, won't, I hesitate to say lecture if it's really young kids because right. we're not really lecturing them you know, we're more just trying to show them what we do. And sometimes it takes the place of um, with very young children of including them and having them participate in some kind of developing some kind of game that includes music or whatever and introducing them to the instruments and have them ask questions and things like that. As the people get older, as you get into high school students and um, college age students or young adults, because there's, there's no age discrimination at all. It It takes on a more sophisticated nature, depending on um, the people and, you know, all the way up to professional musicians, for example, um, where it can get very technical in terms of what we're doing and explaining and everything. But so there's all there's all kinds of levels. It's hard to say, you know, what one thing looks like. But for most of the people who don't have um, a lot of musical experience or who don't know a lot about what we're doing, it's mainly introductory level. And we're giving them options because I know when I was coming up, I was raised on the South side of Chicago and just seeing different people doing things, let me know what my options were and what's out there. Just seeing different examples. Do you, do you, uh,
1: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but do you find that, you know, your style of music is largely, um, or almost exclusively acoustic instruments where, you know, with with how widespread, um, you know, electronic music is these days and, you know, Apple's, you know, garage band and things like that where, you know, young kids are to some extent, you know, becoming, you know, composing, you know, musical pieces on uh, an iPhone or on a laptop right, or something, right. yeah. you know, to actually hear live instruments in the air is probably, I would think, more of a unique experience now than it used to be, which is kind of a, a of course, thing yeah, of purists. Of course.
2: Of uh, course. Yeah. I mean, people who are, you know, growing up in the computer generation, of course, it's, it's um, like I said, some of these people may have never seen anybody play an instrument before, you know, and um, so this is their introduction to that. So um, a lot of times... With really young kids, you know, you don't get much of a response from them, but from um, kids, let's say, in the um, grammar school age, just going into high school or early high school, some of them have told us that the demonstrations we gave blew their minds because they didn't even know that this kind of thing existed. Wow. You know, so, I mean, it it depends on, like I said, we don't discriminate with age and we really don't even discriminate with, we we concentrate on um, disadvantaged areas, but if if, uh, if a community center comes to us that works in a more um, affluent area or something like that, we're not going to discriminate and say, well, these kids make too much money or something like that, you know? Right. Um, So, so we do workshops in other areas too. And a lot of times it depends on what they've been exposed to um, according to, you know, how they grew up and what areas they grew up in and all that. So there's a, there's a lot of varying um, circumstances, but, in general, you're correct. Um, a lot of the kids who have, you know, grown up listening to hip hop or something like that, they have never seen people play instruments before.
1: Wow. I mean, when you hear when I hear you say it like that, it's it, it's uh, pretty hard to believe, but I, it's that's reality. Um, do, do you do the outreach activities exclusively in the U.S.? I know you perform uh, in Europe quite a bit. Do you? What's your? You know, besides the performances in Europe, do you do you do any clinics or
2: things yeah, of that nature yeah. overseas? Yeah, we've. We, I've done this in um, other countries. I've done it in Cuba. I've done it in Brazil. I've done it in Africa in, um different African countries. Um, in India, you know. So, so in Europe, of course, too. So it's not just. Um, it's not just the U.S. I'm not. Um, I'm a people person. I'm not really into all these borders and all this kind of stuff, you know. So, people are the same everywhere, you know. And um, we try to spread um, information wherever we go. So, yeah, we do this. um, And we've gone into, like, um, low-income areas in Bahia, Brazil, for example. You know, I mean, El Salvador. So, you know, it's not just restricted to the United States. But, of course, I'm from here. And so, it's easier for us to get to, um, say, Detroit or... Chicago than it is to get to, you know, Rio de Janeiro. Obviously.
1: Now, do you and I, I, I imagine you've got, you know, agents for different parts of the of the world.
2: Uh, Some parts, not every part.
1: <laughs> so, so, so like for an example, so of, of the countries you just mentioned, you know, with respect, like Cuba in particular, you know, how does something like that come about? Do you initiate? The, the Yes, or-
2: I initiate. It takes, I mean, to go to um, countries that don't have um, the same infrastructure as, let's say, like the United States and Western Europe, it takes a lot of work. I mean, it's not something that just happens. You know, you have to initiate a lot. You have to do a lot of investigation. You have to hook up with people. So it's too much to talk about. But, yes, it, t- it took a lot to go to Cuba. I'm well, to go to Brazil and places like this.
1: Well, and that's definitely a theme that we'll, that will run through all of these podcasts is, you know, the I think people don't really understand that in any artistic discipline, the amount of energy that's required to just make a living, let alone, you know, have any kind of, you know, uh, you know, wide scale success or, or fame or anything like that. Just the amount of energy required to make a living is vastly more than people think it is.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the difference in what I do and probably what most people think about is that fame is not in the picture at all. I mean, um, with most people in their lives um, s- surviving or even making money or trying to become rich or whatever, that's, that's like a, the main theme of what they're trying to do. And they make a lot of decisions based on, okay, what do I need to do to, survive? Or what do I need to do to make more money? My decisions aren't really based on that. Of course, I have to make a living just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. But my main decisions are based on what I'm trying to do through my music. And it's always been like that from the time I was, I I hitchhiked to New York from Chicago. I played on the street for a living for like two years or something like that, you know, but every decision I made, even at that point when I had no money was always about, um, what I want to do in this music. And that's based on studying the great musicians in the past who've, you know, gone down the same path because I'm certainly not the first person to do this. And you study them and you and you see how they made it playing very creative music and not playing commercial music. And then you figure out, you know, your path based on based on like what people have done before you. I mean, when I say great people, I mean people like John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, names that people might know.
1: Right. Uh, Max Roach and and Mel Lewis and Sonny Rollins.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, And and some of those people I talked to personally, you know, eventually I got to the point to know them. And um, so Max Roach and Sonny Rollins and people like this, they gave me a lot of advice, you know, Thad Jones, like about what to do, what not to do, you know, what happened with them. And of course, you have to make adjustments because every time is different, but that really really helps a lot that there's people who have done it before you and in in, hum, in any human activity there's always somebody who's done it before you you know so you just have to research and find out who they are
1: when when was the 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 transition from Chicago to New York when when did that happen
2: oh that was a long time ago 1978 <laughs> may 22nd 1978 was when i arrived in new york
1: and you and you started and that was you you started street performing right right out of the gate there or was there any kind of I,
2: just... I actually started street performing in Chicago to okay. get the money to go to New York. <laughs> so <laughs> there you so go. I was playing on a street in Chicago in a in a near north side area called Rush <laughs> Street um, so that I can make the money to get to New York. I had a plan. I had the whole thing planned out. But like I said, a lot of it was based on what people had done before me because there's been plenty of people who have playing creative music who came to New York with no money at all. You know, and, and they you know, were able to survive doing what they what they wanted to do. And so I studied what they did, and I made a plan. I came in, right when the weather broke in the beginning, at the end of spring, let's say, mm-hmm. and I figured, you know, okay, I don't have a place to stay, but by the time the weather breaks again, you know, <laughs> it turns into winter, I should have, you know, pretty much figured it out, you know. So it was a whole plan that I had.
1: Well, and and the, you know, the discipline to keep going in spite of, Difficulty or circumstance or any kind of you know roadblocks that life you know throws up uh, in your way, you know that's um, you know that's something that comes through loud and clear in you know in the times that we've talked about uh, about this kind of stuff. Um, you know, is there any? I know that uh, everybody has one or you know maybe one or two things that they would have done differently. You know, if there is anything in your career, what would that one thing be? Mm, if i well, was, i if guess I, was, I don't
2: fall on that list I don't really have anything that I would have done differently i did I did it you know i'm I'm not trying to quote Frank Sinatra, but I did it my way you know? well and it's so.
1: it, well that's that's exactly uh, i mean that's exactly it when i when i when I look at your work and your your travels and your the impact that you've had um, to be able to live a creative life and and do it on your terms um,
2: well, I'll tell you one thing. Um, when I was about to leave to to New York, my mother. First of all, I don't come from a musical family, so nobody really understood what I was doing. I was the only musician in the family, so my mother thought I was just losing it. You know, so, so she <laughs> so she was like, "Well, what you know? What are you doing? What happens if you go to New York and you and you don't make it? And you starve?" She said, "You can you at least have a house to stay in here and this and that." You know, she said, "What happens if you don't make it?" And I told her, I've already made it. And she didn't understand what I meant. You know, she was like, what do you mean you've already made it? Because she, see, she saw making it as, you know, monetary and mm-hmm. having a house and, you know, whatever, you know, the normal thing that people think. And I said, well, I'm doing what I want to do. And from the time that I decided to do what I wanted to do, I've made it, you know, in, in my opinion. You know, but I, I didn't define making it as um, what was happening for me economically, Right. It, it was doing what I wanted to do. For me, that was making it. And and that happened right from the beginning, because I'm pretty hard headed, as you can tell. <laughs> so that, <laughs> well. that happened right from the beginning. You know, now, yes, I had to figure out how to make a living doing this, you know, but so did countless of other people before me. So it wasn't like a mystery because it had been done. And so all I had to do was study those people who had done it. And it had been done by thousands of people, not a small number. And, um, so that was the, that was the main thing. And so that's why when you ask this question about what would I have done differently? Um, I can't really think of one thing that I would have done differently. There's plenty of advice I got of other people telling me to do things differently, you know, I mean, but, um, but I I did what I wanted to do and I made the decisions that I, I wanted to make. I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes. There's a difference, you know. I mean, I, I made some mistakes and then you try to correct the mistakes and everything. Everybody encounters difficulties in life, no matter what you decide to do. But I wouldn't say I've been happy, but I've been content in terms of knowing that, you know, I'm on the path that I want to be on. It's, it's, there's not a goal in this path. There's not a pot of uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or anything like that. The right. path itself is the goal, just being on the path of learning every day of trying to share information with other people is because I, I give to other people because people have given to me and I'm passing that on. Um, some of the people you mentioned, Max Roach, um, when I first met him, he invited me over to his house to dinner. I was shocked. I was like, this guy doesn't even know me. I mean, he's he's inviting me over for dinner. I'm eating with him and his family. He's telling me all these stories about Charlie Parker and Duke Ellington and Coltrane and all these people. And I didn't even know him, but he was interested in seeing like a in seeing a young guy who was serious about the music inspiring them, you know. And I'll never forget that. And so, therefore, you know, I try to pass that same experience on to other people. That's where the motivation comes from. Is that I was inspired. i was inspired, not expired. <laughs> I saw um, you got a Duke long Gallantin, you got a Gallantin long time to go yet school, before. And it shocked me, you know, to yep. see all these guys playing these instruments.
1: Well, and, yeah. and Max Roach clearly saw. Something in you that he, you know, maybe he saw himself.
2: Yeah, well, probably probably so because he, see, he didn't just do that with me. He did that with a lot of, you know, I thought it was special, of course, because you know of who he was. But I learned later that he had, I'd, I'd run across countless of musicians who told me that he helped them and he inspired them and he he gave them encouragement and everything, you know. And that's very helpful when somebody who you look up to like that, you know, I had him on all these records at home and everything. And then this guy's like, you know, showing some kind of interest and, and um, trying to, you know, get me to keep going. I mean, he told me, he said, you have to do your music. You can't do our music. You can't copy what we did. You have to find your own way. It doesn't matter whether I like it or not. What's inside you? That's what you have to go for. I mean, that, that resonated with me completely. You know, I mean, and it's not just him. There's other people, too, but we're Mm -hmm. just using Max Roach as an example. Dizzy Gillespie, there's other people who I met and played with, you know, who also gave me a lot of encouragement. And that really, really helped. Those people aren't with us anymore, but what they gave me um, inspires me all the time. And then I try to pass that on other people. And then young people tell me, you know, oh, your music's changed my life and blah, blah, blah. And it makes you feel good because you know that that happened to you. You know, so the theme of my nonprofit is to use music to help expand consciousness. And I know that works because it's happened to me and many other people I know. And I've already, you know, I'm old enough that I've seen the results with other people who I've passed on to passed information on to. So um, we already know it works. It's just a matter of the mechanics of doing it.
1: Well, and, and also, I mean, the thing is that, you know, fast forwarding to the, to the present day, you know, you now occupy that spot in the landscape that you know Max Roach occupied for you when you were younger, so you're you, you know you're that guy now,
2: well, relative to somebody else, yes, well exactly I, I, right, I mean yeah it, that could that, it, could that could that could be you know, I mean, there are people who've come to New York just to contact me or whatever, you know, for example, you know, just like I did in the past, and so i I realized slowly over time that people 10, 20 years younger than you or whatever, you know, you you have, you hold that same position for them. Mm -hmm, Exactly. But it doesn't, it doesn't change the way I think, you know, I still think of myself as a, as a student and I'm trying to learn as much as I can, um, from my position. But I do realize that from their position, you know, it's, it's very different. They look at me like I looked at Sonny Rollins and those people, you know, um, some of them, you know, not everybody, but, uh, but I, so I do realize that. But you can't let that change what you're trying to do in terms of um, I mean, Sonny Rollins is still alive and he's 85 years old now. I think he's born in 1930. So I think he's 85. And um, he told me that he's still trying to learn, you know, that he's still trying to figure this music out and everything. And so that's inspiring also because here's this guy who's my mother's age you know, and he's still trying to figure out what he's doing. You know, and, and he's he's not finished. He's not resting. He said, it doesn't matter what people tell you, how many people tell you you're great and how many awards you got or whatever. None of that matters. He said, you know what you have to do and you have to just get back to work. You know, when I, when I got to MacArthur, I talked to Sonny on the phone and he congratulated me. But then he said, I'm going to tell you um, um, what I think, Steve. That award doesn't mean shit. You know, pardon my language, you know, <laughs> but that's exactly what he said to me. He well, said, that you know. And, it's and, nice that they gave it to you and everything, but you still have work to do.
1: Well, and, and for those of you who don't uh, don't know the, the the MacArthur Foundation is one of the largest uh, foundations in, in the US. And uh, in, in 2014, it was, I believe, um, granted Steve uh, a MacArthur Fellowship, which which is an extremely uh, elite group of people to be in. I mean, in any given year, uh, you know, how many, how many MacArthur fellows are there? 10, 12?
2: Uh, yeah. And you know, sometimes it's not even a musician, but if there is a musician, it's usually just one.
1: Right. I mean, these are people from, <clears throat> from so, the sciences, uh, from, you know, environmental yeah, services,
2: all kinds of things. Yeah. All walks of life. So writers, um, 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 playwrights, um, poets, you know um novelists um, just you know people working with um, like you said a lot of different fields of sciences it's creativity is basically what it is you right. know so they they are into supporting creativity you know that's their that's their main thing
1: and well and I'm just thinking back cuz 2014 was you know from from the that aspect of your career you know to to Be granted a MacArthur Fellowship, which is an extremely elite, you know, group of people from all, you know, different kinds of disciplines and a Guggenheim Fellowship in the same year. Either one of those for anybody else would have been like the crowning achievement of their, you know, of their career. And, you know, they both happened to you in the same year. I was wondering if you could just kind of comment a little bit about uh, how that impacted your ability to
2: do what you do. It was a very strange year. I mean, um, first of all, well, the Guggenheim was something that I applied for in 2013, not thinking I would get it because people apply year after year and don't get it. And I received it in 2014. So that was the first thing I heard about. Um, Concurrent with that, even this is even before the MacArthur, because the MacArthur was um, announced in September of 2014. And the Guggenheim was announced something earlier, like March or something like that. So I didn't know anything about the MacArthur. They're very secretive. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. Right. But there was another award called the Doris Duke Award, Doris Duke Impact Award, that I received almost the same time that I received the Guggenheim. And that's sort of a MacArthur-type award, mm-hmm. but it's for musicians, it's for, you know, the stipend is, I don't know, it's maybe a third of the MacArthur, but it's still huge for me, you know, right, right. Um, you know, in this, area, in this area, we don't get many windfalls. So, you know, anything like that is huge. <laughs> yeah um, So the, the Doris Duke Impact Award, and then later I got the the Doris Duke Artist Award, which is a kind of the, the similar same thing. I got that in 2015. So they're they're very prestigious, prestigious awards, but they're for musicians and for dancers and for, um, I think Doris Duke was a, was a socialite who left a lot of money and she, um, she, um, had a, a foundation and she, um, I don't know what they call it, but when they put it, put in the goal of the foundation was to support musicians and dancers because that's what she loved, mm-hmm. you know? But it was specifically so-called jazz musicians, you know, or something around that area, you know, and then uh, and then dancers. And so I got that award. <clears throat> and so I was, you know, preparing to do some things based on that and everything. And then the MacArthur thing happened just out of the blue. Now, the MacArthur is so rare that none of us really thinks about getting it. Right. You know, it's it's not like you, you, can, you can't plan something like that or whatever. You can't say, well, hopefully I'll get a MacArthur. You can't apply. You can't do anything. There's just this like it's like some people in a room like the Illuminati or something and they just make a decision. <laughs> <you know? laughs>
1: well, and somebody, you know, someone in that process had to champion your work. You know, the, oh sure, you know, sure. They, they you were on the process. somebody's they just radar. won't
2: let you know what it is.
1: You know, you were you were on someone's radar screen and they said this, you know, Steve Coleman, you know, is 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 worthy of, of you know, being in this group and he should be in this group and here's why. I mean, it would be an interesting um Definitely an interesting process to be privy to. But uh like you well, said, Well they did
2: tell me that that um they had been checking me out for a few years, you know. I mean for three, four, or five years or something like that. You know, they wouldn't be specific, but they said that, you know, you've been on our radar for a while. You know, so so they watch, you know, I mean, it's kind of weird to me, you know. I mean, these people just watching you or whatever, <laughs> you know. But I guess you're being watched by a lot of people anyway. But um you know, they, they, they track the because they, they're not just going to give it to somebody out the blue, obviously. You know, they right. they are tracking, you know, what you're doing, what kind of impact you're making and all, all this kind of stuff. Meanwhile, you're just going along doing whatever you're doing. You know, you're not thinking about um, this. But um, like I said, certain things like the Guggenheim Pulitzer, things like that you apply for. And then these other things like the MacArthur, the Doris Duke, you don't apply. You can't apply. You just they just call you. You know, and um, they call you when pretty much is the MacArthur people just call you when it's done. I almost fell out of my bed when they called because I almost didn't answer the phone. I saw Chicago exchange. It was a number that was unknown, you know, like when you don't have somebody Mm -hmm. in your contacts. And um, and so I said, well, it could be spam, but it could be something wrong with somebody in my family because I'm from Chicago, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I answered the phone. And, um they told me who they were, and I didn't believe them. You know that was my initial response was just just trying to race through the people I knew who could be doing a prank on me you know right, right. and um right. and they said, "Well, you know, we get this a, a lot, so they named the board members and they told me to get on the internet, and if I wanted to, I could look up the board members and all this and so once I did that, I was convinced because nobody I know would know these people right you know? right
1: <laughs> well, and it's like the uh you know there was a Geez, that reminds me of a scene in a movie in in uh, Major League, where the Tom Berenger character gets called by uh, by the Cleveland Indians. You know, they we want you to come up and uh, you know play for the Indians this season, and he, he goes, well, you know, blaming it on one of his friends immediately. Like this is my, right, right, exactly. Yeah. But exactly. Uh, but certainly a, a you know a a career, possibly a career altering point, I would think, right.
2: Well, in ter- in terms of what I do, no, it's not. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to, you know, but in terms of recognition for what you do, you know, in terms of like who's, you know, visibility and, and things like that. Yes. You know, I like I said earlier, I think of career as what I'm trying to do in music. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't judge career based on... Um, what happens to me monetarily or whatever, you know, it's in other words, whether my career is successful or not depends on what I'm trying to do in this music.
1: Well, maybe, and maybe I should phrase that in, in the way of, you know, in terms of your creative life, you know, certainly one of those, one of those uh, events that pushes you, you know, in a, in a a little bit higher or a little bit faster in a different direction than maybe you would have gone otherwise, because when, um, you know, I'd mentioned I was going to interview you to a, a couple of uh, attorney friends of mine, you know, when I was recounting, you know, some things that uh uh you know, highlights of of your, you know, creative life when I got to the MacArthur Foundation thing, they both stopped and they went really. You know, so mm-hmm. that that's something that resonates across, you know, uh many different, you know, walks of life. So,
2: Right, the the foundation definitely has a, a lot of respect. Um, because of the different people who they've given the award to, you know, are usually fairly important in their field. Um, they don't usually mess up. Let's put it that way. Right. They put a lot of <laughs> research <wasn't>, yeah. <laughs> into, into <laughs> they you know, who people are. But of course, they can't give the award to everybody. So that means that there's a lot of people who are very prominent and who, doing very you know fantastic work who never get the award, you know, because you can't, you know, there's a lot of people doing very important things in this world. And um, you certainly can't, you know, recognize all of them, even if you wanted to. Right. I mean, they're doing fantastic work, but it's not that many people who get it each year and it's once a year, you know. So obviously that leaves a lot of people out. I know a lot of musicians, for example, who are doing fantastic work who may never get an award like that. Mm-hmm. So you can't base what you do on on that or on the notion that you might get something like that. At the same time, the projects you do can maybe be just a little bigger Maybe you can pay more people, you know, I mean, you know, the, so there's certain things that can be done, obviously, you it, know,
1: it enables you to create the circumstances for other things to happen, I guess, is how, you know, I, sure. w- I would look at it. And, and without that, you know, creative work doesn't happen. There always has to be patrons. There have to be donors to, you know, set the stage so that the artists can do. You mm-hmm. know,
2: well, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, the creative work can happen whether people know about it. <laughs> you know. Well,
1: exactly you know, right. No, you you're, know? you're I mean, exactly right. I,
2: I was I was determined to create if, if I had to just sit in in a in a you know four room I mean uh four walls a very small place in in Harlem or something like that and if nobody heard it, I would still do the same thing. That that's where I'm coming from. But and I did that. I mean, because obviously in the beginning nobody did hear it. You know right. so so, um, so it's it's like I said, your your reward. Everybody's different, so I'm not saying that this is the way that a lot. Of, you know, this is just the way I think. But I don't base it on what happens to me in terms of um, the recognition from other people. Of course, you appreciate recognition from other people. But if I want to go out and spread information and help somebody, it doesn't have to be broadcast on CNN or. Or something like that, right? You know, and and so I guess that's part of the reason why that those are the type of people that people like MacArthur people look for. But it's difficult because it's harder to see those kind of people because they aren't seeking, you know, recognition for what they're doing. So it's, it's obviously harder to see that type of person. And so what they do, the MacArthur people, the Doris Duke people, what they do is that they interview other people in that field. Because they try to find out from them, okay, who in your field is out here doing this kind of work? Because they they're not always visible, you know. They're not always somebody that you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Colbert did the skit on the MacArthur thing. He says they always give their awards to eggheads who nobody knows, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and but there's some truth to that, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's not they're not giving the award to Jay Z and to you know to, to people that everybody would know. You know, I, I don't know why I picked Jay Z, but it's Name just came out the top of my head, you know?
1: Well, because everybody but, uh, everybody knows who he is.
2: Yeah, yeah, but they're not Pretty giving much. awards to people like that. They are giving awards to, I guess, what normal people would consider eggheads, you know? I mean, people who um, think a lot of, and think very deeply about what they do and they're very introspective and everything. That's the definition by most people of an egghead, you know? So um, so in the, scientist, in the scientist field, they're giving awards to people who are doing this Einstein-type work. Well, this is very solitary- you know, work, it does it's not work where, you know, there's this big public fanfare. Now, yes, Einstein was one person who managed to become known, just like John Coltrane became known. Mm -hmm. But John Coltrane was more like me in terms of he wasn't seeking to be known. He was just doing his work. And he's one of the ones that we heard about. But for every John Coltrane, for every Einstein, you know, there's a 100 of them that we haven't heard of, right, who did similar kind of work, you know, so for every person like me, there's 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 a bunch of others who are doing similar type work who never get anything. And that's just the way it is. And and of course, when we go into this business, we know very well that we could be one of those people who never gets any recognition and nothing ever happens for. And you're just creating your whole life, you know, sort of on the sideline kind of underground kind of thing. I know tons of people like that and they're doing fantastic work, you know, but they don't judge their Success by who sees it, although they would like people to see it. You know, that's not the major um, thing motivating them.
1: Well, I think we've uh, we've taken up enough of your time as it is. I, I know you're uh, you're uh, uh, this week. You're at the uh, the Village Vanguard in New York, and uh, we will um, we'll post a, a link up on our website to mbase uh, dot com so people can can find your right. nonprofit and um on steve's website there is a way to contact him so if you if you are interested in helping him to carry out his mission uh you can you can contact steve through his website and uh steve it's been uh, always is a pleasure uh to speak with you and um and you know just uh, thanks again for uh, spending some time with us
2: well thanks for calling and be sure to send me the links to the podcast and everything so i can you know spread it to people and and we'll just keep going
1: it's a it's a pleasure and you know thanks again really appreciate it
2: okay no problem thanks for calling
1: all right take care
2: okay
0: thanks for listening to creative confidential with brian Todd. To have Brian consult for your arts organization, for public speaking engagements, or if you have legal matters you want to discuss, contact him at tucklaw.com. That's T-U-K-Law.com. For future episodes, please subscribe to Creative Confidential on iTunes or visit us at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. creation. Steve Mittman, social media.com.